Comes over, it's in the books. Jacob Young dribbles it out and it is over in Indy. The Scarlet Knights of Rutgers with their first NCAA tournament victory in 38 years. Oh, how sweet it was. A moment Rutgers fans had longed for since 1983 and one they won't soon forget. That victory over Clemson in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DeNovellis, and even though Rutgers would lose a heartbreaker to Houston just a couple of days later, it still didn't take away the significance or the sweetness of that historic victory for the Scarlet Knights. And who better to talk about this memorable season on the banks than the head coach of Rutgers men's basketball, Steve Peichel. Coach, thanks for coming on. Hey, Brian, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, uh, those words there about the Clemson game uh, brought a smile to my face and uh, was certainly an exciting and challenging season. But uh, to break a drought like that is is really uh, rewarding. How rewarding is it now that we're a few weeks away, basically a month away from that victory, Coach? You know, what was it like getting there? And what was it like earning that victory, knowing that not only what it meant for the program, but the fans and everyone surrounding Rutgers basketball? Well, I will tell you, it, it really was a, a kind of a two-year journey because the year prior, um, we were in the NCAA tournament. We had won our 20th game at Purdue on the road against a really good Purdue team. And we knew that we were in the tournament. Then, you know, COVID shut it down for us uh, right before tip-off of the Big Ten tournament. So remember our guys coming back on the bus and, and all of a sudden the Big Ten tournament was over. By the time we landed here in, in, in New Jersey, um, the NCAA had announced that the NCAA tournament was over. So we had heard about, you know, our drought that whole year and we're able to, uh, we thought, you know, move forward from there. And, and obviously COVID had different plans for us. So we started this year with answering that same question again, and, and actually uh, such a challenging year and, and not knowing if you were going to even have a season or uh, non-conference season and then um, putting in the testing protocol, we tested every single day. So, our team had to do an unbelievable job. Our first opponent was COVID all year long. And if anyone in our 30-person pod got um, COVID, then it shuts the whole operation down. So it was an unbelievably uh, uh, challenging year, but our guys really plugged away. And, you know, we had some up and ups and downs, the, the same thing you have every season, especially when you play in a league like the Big Ten. Um, you're going to have many challenges uh, uh, great teams. I think 12 teams were ranked out of the 14th at one point in time in our conference. And, um, you know, so you're going to have some ups and downs. But for our guys to fight through all those things for a two-year period um, and, and we're able to, you know, get an NCAA bid and then go and, and, and win a game and, and play very well the next round, too, uh, was really rewarding and, and um, uh, you know, exciting. But I still believe our best basketball is ahead of us. I love, I love our roster moving forward here. I think we we have a chance next year to be truly, a, you know, special, special team. And and I'm looking forward to the challenges that next year will bring. All right, you led me right to it, Coach. What are your expectations for the roster? Who do you expect to take that next leap? You know, will Mo Kehi be handed the the point guard duties? And obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with. Uh, Ron Baker Jr. or, G or 
Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker. So there are still uncertainties. So as the roster stands now, April 22nd. I, I love my roster. This is by far the best roster I've had since I've been here. So um, first of all, all the guys in the program, you know, are working really hard to keep improving. I think that's what we've been as a program, um, a program that improves, you know, in the off season. Um, I love the fact that we have veterans in Paul Mulcahy and veterans in Caleb McConnell, who had an unbelievable game against Clemson in, in the NCAA tournament. I love the fact um, that two of our guys put their name in the draft. It means uh, our programs come a long way. Mm-hmm. That's what it means when guys uh, are getting interest at that level. Um, they have until July you know, 7th um, to decide, you know, what they're going to do. And, um, you know, so that's always a fun time of the year, actually, for, you know, players to get feedback. And and the fact that these guys are engaged with a lot of dialogue from the NBA means that they are right where they need to be, you know, in, in their career. So we're excited about them exploring. I also really believe our freshman class, which didn't play a lot of minutes this year, basically because we had a lot of veteran players and, and also because we had no non-conference, you know, season. We only played four non-conference games, didn't play any scrimmages or exhibitions. You know, people will be very excited about Jaden Jones, a really good scorer, um, can really shoot the ball, got great size. Moat Mack can really shoot the ball, got great size. Dean Reber, six foot ten, really athletic. Um, Oscar uh, Palmquist, a lefty, really good shooter with great size. And then um, Cliff Omore will be the most improved player in the, you know, in the country. So uh, working tremendously hard, having a great off season. Um, you know, I love our roster. And so I'm really excited about it. And, uh, um, you know, I really think uh, next year has a chance to be, you know, our best year uh, by far. That's great to hear, coach. I mean, considering the two year stretch that you've had, that's saying something. No, I think it is. But, you know, I also think um, these kids are driven. Again, you know, um, these kids are good workers. They got a taste of it, too. I think that really helps. Your experience when you play in the NCAA tournament, very important. Um, you know, I still have my three shelves up in my office. And I don't know if you can kind of see them. There's, oh, yeah. you know, my shelves and one has a ball in it. It never had one before. And that's the NCAA tournament ball. And then the, there's a Final Four shelf and a National Championship shelf. And um, we put one ball on, on those shelves, which has been the work of my staff and, and the players in the program have done a really good job. And, um, now we got to fill those other shelves and I'm very confident that we could do that. And especially playing in a league that prepares you for that kind of competition. And that's the big 10. So what's the challenge with recruiting now coach, right? The transfer portal has changed quite a bit. You're trying to build a roster, not knowing if, Baker or Harper are coming back. Uh, you hope they do, but if they don't, how do you fill this roster and what are your biggest needs right now? Yeah. I mean, we're being very, you know, selective. Everyone, uh, the you know, the transfer portal, the transfer portal, the transfer portal. Yeah. I like my roster. I think you build within your program. I like my freshman class a lot. Um, and then if we could add some pieces, you know, obviously we've been able to do that in the past and we'll continue to do that, but your locker room is very important. Your chemistry is very important. And, um, you're not just plugging guys in, um, you know, that are in the portal, even though people want you to do that. Sometimes you could be smart, 
uh, about how you craft. You talk about leadership, you talk about the quality kids that you want to bring in. You talk about what motivates them. You talk about, are they fits to Rutgers university? Are they fits to the big 10, you know, and, and what we need, um, you know, so there are a lot more questions that come with the portal than answers. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, I still believe in recruiting and I still believe in high school players. Um, there's also some really good junior college players out there that, you, you know, um, can certainly, you know, help rosters. So uh, it's not as easy as everyone sees a name on the board and uh, oh, this kid. And then sometimes you, you reach out to these kids and they're already off the board. So, uh, um, you know, they get in the portal and five minutes later, they're already deciding on a school. So, Right. Um, you know, that's a challenging part of the portal, too. So, um, you know, there's not as many answers as everyone thinks. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I think you got to be confident with the players that you have in your program. And, and, and I'm confident in my staff and the way that we develop players. And Rutgers is a real good place. You know, it's a real good place for a high school kid to come, a junior college kid or somebody in the portal. We're going to sell out every game next year. Uh, we got the best practice facility in the country. Um, and now we've proven in the best league in the country that we can really compete and, and compete against anybody. So shaping the roster, would you like to bring a big man in or, or some guard help? You know, obviously losing Miles Johnson, you can never totally replace him, but you have to plug a hole, I would assume, somewhere, whether it's a big or a guard. Well, I mean, Cliff is really good, so I'm very confident um, – uh, and, and his development too. And he's one of the great kids I've ever coached. And uh, we have Dean Reber is a very good basketball player and he's going to help us a great deal. And, um, you know, um, I really am very confident in the, in the guys that we have. If we can bring in somebody that I think fits our program and, and um, gives us a skill set that we don't have, um, then that's, you know, obviously something that I'd be very intrigued with, but, um, that could come from high school. That could come from anywhere, um, you know, down the road. But I also really like our roster and I like our locker room. And I think those things are, are way more important than anyone ever talks about. And uh, college basketball is a long season. Um, and, uh, you know, there's many obstacles that you're going to go through. And, you know, to have those great qualities of kids that have worked really hard, I'm now going to get more opportunities to play, um, you know, too. Uh, there's a real value to that, too. And um, I really, again, like our freshman class a great deal and, um, and, and, and know that they're going to be really good basketball players for us. You know, it's clear, Coach, you have really established your style of play, bringing in your type of players. Uh, if there was one thing I really want to say about your style is that I really appreciate it. The way this team attacks it defensively, the way they buy into your defensive system and uh, really give your team a chance to win each and every night does it begin with defense and how have you really sold it to your players that they buy into your system well I mean it's a credit to my staff and the players um you know 50 percent of basketball is on that end of the floor all right and it gets very little attention because the attention all goes to the leading scorers and you know that kind of stuff and and uh, uh people sometimes forget that that you know, 50% of it matters. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're really good at that 50%, you could put yourself in a position to win a lot of games and compete. And we also play in the best league in the country. So if you don't play defense in our yeah. league against the Iowa's of the world and the Illinois of the world and, and, and the Michigan States of the world, then you, you won't win anyways. Um, but our players have embraced it. Um, 
I think our system is 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 built, and our culture is built around um, doing those things. And, and I also explain to our players often that you know sometimes your jump shot doesn't travel. Sometimes you don't shoot the ball well on the road. Sometimes you don't shoot the ball well at home. Um, but defense always travels. Defense is always there for you. And, and, and if you can have a consistency on that end of the floor, then those days the ball's going in, um, you're going to win a lot of games. And the days the ball's not going in, you're still going to have a chance to win on those days. And, um, you know, I'm thankful we got a group of guys that have bought in on that end of the floor. I do think we'll be better defensively next year. This by far will be our best team defensively, in my opinion. Um, and so I'm excited about the gains we could make on that end of the floor next year with our roster. You talk about shooting, Coach. You were quite a shooter back in the day at St. Paul High School in, in Bristol, Connecticut. And, um, you know, we do have a little connection. I know you don't remember me because I was just a little skinny sophomore at South Catholic High School when you were a senior. But uh, you were an amazing, amazing shooter. And I believe the way I recall it, your senior year in 86, you, we didn't have the three-point line until 87. So you scored 1,400 career points. You were one of the best, and I'm just, I, I'm telling you, you were one of the best shooters I had ever seen in high school. Imagine if you had the three-point line. Do you ever think about that, that it was there the, the year after you left? <laughs> I was thankful they had it when I went to college. But, uh, you know, I never got to play with it. And so for four years, I took a lot of long jump shots that probably would have been considered threes. Um, and... Uh, you know, but I had a you know a nice, great high school career and a lot of great people and some great coaches and the old Hartford County Conference, one of the best yes conferences in in the state of Connecticut by far, with some great coaches and everything. And you know that league helped really prepare me for you know college and playing in the Big East. So yeah, I wish we had the line back in those days. I oftentimes tell my youngest son, um, <laughs> you know that that if the line was there, I would have probably had a couple more points, but. Uh, uh, it wasn't at the time. I'm glad they put it in, though. I was able to take advantage of it a little bit in college. Yeah, and and listen, you know, you you were on some UConn teams. You you played for a Hall of Fame coach in Jim Calhoun. Howie Dickman, who you later were an assistant under at Central Connecticut, was also on that staff. You know, what an amazing staff you played for. Do you see parallels with the way that UConn program was built and rose under Jim Calhoun and the players that you had there, like, you know, Chris Smith and Tate George and Scotty Burrell with, you know, UConn was at the bottom of the Big East in the mid 80s. And then they won the NIT when you were there in 88. And of course, his first great team in 90 with Tate George hitting that shot against Clemson. Do you see any parallels with the way that team was built and rising with what you've done at Rutgers? Well, listen, I've certainly been really lucky to, you know, have my basketball experiences be around building programs. And I was there Coach Calhoun's first year at, at UConn, and we were picked last in the Big East. And then my last year there, we were number one seed in, in the NCAA tournament with Nadav Hennefeld and Scott Burrell. Oh, what a team. You know, some really terrific basketball players. And, you know, so I lived it as a player, the rise of, of the UConn program. And um, you know, then I went to a few other places, Howie Dickman, who, you know, took that central Connecticut program, never had a winning season in division one. And my last year there, um, Corsley Edwards, we had a pro really, yeah. and, and we went to a tournament, um, and did the same thing with Carl Hobbs at George Washington university. So I've, I've been very fortunate, you know, to be a part of 
building programs and, and, and I was lucky enough to be at Stony Brook where we, we took a program that hadn't had a lot of wins, um, you know, to a program that was really competitive against everybody. So, um, you know, I felt really comfortable when I took the Rutgers job um, that I had been through those situations before. I loved the university and I love the people here at Rutgers. It's a powerful university, 50,000 students um, in a great state, New Jersey. Um, and now we play in the best league in the country. And, uh, you know, by the time I took it over, this was our last stop, the Big Ten, because we had played in a lot of different leagues prior to that as a, as a university. So I'm very thankful for, you know, the leadership here and um, the great people here and the support that we've had here in trying to raise this program uh, up from, you know, being picked last to now competing with everybody in our league. So felt really comfortable because I kind of lived it as a coach and as a player, all these, you know, builds and um, thankful. I got a great staff and, and thankful. you got to find players that buy into your vision, you know, and, and, and I'm thankful now I can talk about playing in the NCAA tournament, those kind of things. When I first took the job, I was just telling them we hadn't been in 30 some odd years and we hadn't won a game in 38 years, mm-hmm. you know? So I was saying we can do it. And now these players are the ones that led us to that point and, Hopefully we stay right right here and we continue to knock on that door to try to win the national championship. Going from last year's team where the rack was sold out, right? And you know as well as anyone, when the rack is rocking, there might not be a better home court advantage in all of college basketball, certainly in the Big Ten, and every visiting coach will tell you that. So going from that to, you know, crickets and being able to hear the squeaky sneakers you know, that must have been bizarre. And hopefully next year, hey, you know, let's hope that you'll be back out there. And do you think about what it will be like to walk out there again come October, no, November, I should say, and there's fans in there again? Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to that. Obviously, um, the environment at the rack is second to none. And I see how people start putting us right up there with the environments at Duke and at Kansas and at you know, some of those places that have been notorious for great home advantages. Um, the rack was rocking. Our students were very involved. Um, and it helps. It helps your program. It, it, uh, it helps you in every year. It helps your players, you know, perform better. And to not have that this year was really difficult. There was no energy in the building at all. There was nobody in the building. Um, so it was very different. I mean, how the games were refereed were very different. Um, how the games were scouted by the other teams was very different. You could hear every play call. Um, uh, you could hear the strategies of the other team, you know. So it was, you know, I, I one word, it was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, really, it was really just a, a unique experience, you know, for uh, the coaches and for the players. So uh, I'm looking forward to COVID, you know, being oh, under man. control, getting back to the rack and students and, our our great fan base, you know, being back in because we miss them and we need them and we've created something that's pretty neat. And it's too bad we had to take a hiatus uh, from that. Yeah, no doubt. A couple of more questions. We're talking with Rutgers men's basketball coach Steve Peichel on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Coach, you mentioned games were ref different. That's interesting. What do you mean the games were ref different this year? Uh, Without a doubt. I mean, the refs heard every word. Um... I must have got more warnings than I've ever gotten <laughs> in the past. They wouldn't hear any of it. Um, 
yeah, they made some calls that would have never been made in the past. Um, so, you know, it was different for them too. Mm -hmm. And, um, the refs have tough jobs. I respected jobs that they do, but it was very different when you have a packed crowd, you can't hear anything. Um, you know, but, uh, um, when there's nobody in the gym, it's just very different. So, um, coaching, scouting was different. Refereeing was different. Um, you know, everything was different. So I'd like to get it back to normal. Oh man. You and you and, you know, about a couple of billion more people would like that to happen as well. Finally, coach, uh, one, Hey, how's the schedule coming out this year? I know you have a home and home with UMass and Please, can we can we get together with Coach Willard and and get this Seton Hall Rutgers rivalry back? Because, you know, it's a shame you didn't play it last year. And uh, I know Rutgers and Seton Hall fans would love to see it back on the schedule uh, this fall. Yeah, I mean, I've been in for that rivalry forever. So that's um, certainly you know two teams have to decide on it, unfortunately. But um, Rutgers has always been in, and you know will always remain in. Um, but sometimes, you know, two programs have to decide yes is the answer. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But we're also going to play in the Gavit games. We're going to have the ACC challenge. Um, I think we'll play both those games on the road. Um, like you said, we have UMass um, you know, that we owe a return game to. And then we're filling out the rest of our schedule. You know, there's some contracts that we have to go through that we had prior to COVID that we're going to try to honor. Um, and then we're still up scheduling games as we speak. So I'm just excited that we're going to have a non-conference, not like last year with three games really. And then, you know, we played Syracuse. Um, I'm excited about getting back to where, um, we can have some progression with our season heading into, um, the toughest league in the country where we're going to play 20 league games again. So, um, you know, sometimes you need a little buildup. You need to learn your team a little bit before you start playing the fifth ranked team in the country and then the mm -hmm. seventh ranked team in the country, then the ninth ranked team in the country. So looking forward to a non-conference, that's for sure. Oh, and, and, and obviously uh, your first game last year, coach, was against your good friend, Anthony Latina at Sacred Heart. Uh, will we see that game on the schedule in the future? He's a Connecticut legend. <laughs> He's a Connecticut legend, Anthony. He does a terrific job. There's a lot of great coaches in Connecticut and as a longtime Connecticut guy, uh, always... Uh, when those schools want to play us, if we can accommodate them, we, we always try to do that. and um, Gives them some exposure, too, with television and, and some of the things that being a part of the Big Ten Network and being part of this great league uh, uh, give to other programs, too. So uh, we'll have to make a phone call to Anthony. I don't know if he can fit us in this year, but we'll, we'll certainly try. Well, that's great. You know, we always remember our, our nutmeg roots in Connecticut, Coach, and it's, it's good to see that still going strong with you. So, hey, Coach. Steve Peichel, thanks. It's been so much fun talking to you about Rutgers hoops and your memories at St. Paul and UConn. And I really want to thank you for coming on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Brian, I appreciate you having me on. I'd love to be back too. So maybe during a win streak next year. All right, listen, hey, I know how to get you now, coach. So I would love to have you back on uh, anytime that you're available. And it's a pleasure. Thank you once again. Perfect. Thanks, Brian. All right, and that is going to do it for Episode 7 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian Dinovellis. Remember, follow me on Twitter, at Brian Dino. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long.